Rylan, can you cry whenever you feel like it? I can cry pretty easily, but uh, I try not to because that's emotional. It's not physical for me. So you couldn't do it in an acting context context. Yeah, I think so. Why don't they have more acting contests? <laughs> I was just going to say that. Uh, I, I think they do. They're called school plays. No, no, no. I don't want that. I want two people on stage. Okay, you have 30 seconds. Your dog died. Go. And whoever <laughs> lives those 30 seconds more like their dog died wins and they move up in the bracket. I was going to say a better organization for that would be you get like 30 actors. You give them a prompt right before they start. Then they go. And then you have like a guy. It's like a dance off. You have people like go and tap people's shoulders and be like, like OK, your dog died. And then there's this guy like kind of bullshitting his way yes. through like trying to cry or whatever. And you're like, you're gone, dude. You, you're not capturing the moment. Please exit the acting floor. Yeah. The true test is how much endurance they have for living in this like tragic moment. <laughs> yeah. Like hands on a car. Yeah. You need those cameras, but instead of thermal vision, they have wetness vision cameras, so oh. they can highlight all the wetness parts yeah, of the face. Yeah, damp vision. It, it, it determines how damp everything is. Damp vision. Yes. But still, like a breakdancing competition, they have kind of stock hip-hop music in the background yes, while you're trying absolutely. to cry on stage in front of these judges. You gotta like, get the energy going for the whole contest so that the audience doesn't get bored, because you're really just watching five people like silently express grief. Yeah, you've got some content contracted hype men at the corners of the stage so every time you do see a tear roll they go oh this is gonna be pretty challenging okay let's get you ready for your wedding up and up. my job to give 100 it's important for us to pause for a moment okay This is Life Pile Podcast, the only podcast that's a carbon-based life form. I'm lifestylist and lifestyle expert Camden Johnson. I am the undisputed powerhouse of the cell. Dylan Bergasa. Be the YOLO in biology. It's Ryland. And I'm famous ex-scientist Blair Britt. Now, Blair Britt, I first met you when you saved my life by shooting me with an EpiPen from a modified sniper rifle. But we've asked you here today to be an expert guest on our special episode where LifePile gets shrunken down and injected into the body to learn about biology. That's great. Uh, I was actually in the bus when they did that Miss Frizzle episode. What they, didn't, what they never told you about that episode is all of those things actually happened to a classroom full of kids. Um, I was actually in the classroom. How many of those kids survived? It was pretty brutal, I would say. Yeah. I, would, I think like a 90, 95% fatality rate. Damn. And yeah. it's all those like white <laughs> blood cells attacking. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, we still have a club and we meet up every 20 years or so, but... Now, Blair, besides being along with Miss Frizzle's murder bus, how else did you gain your expertise in biology? Well, a true, true story, and not to say there are not true, true stories being told here, but I majored in science in college. And for a little while, I worked in a cancer biology lab with my mom. And then out in Chicago, when I moved out here about six years ago, I worked in a neurology lab for about a year and a half. What kind of uh, scientific procedures were you performing in that neurology lab? Honestly, oof. I don't know if how much you guys know about like research science. 
I'm gonna go ahead and guess nothing. Correct. <laughs> I had a brother who killed a bunch of mice to study prions. Well, guess what? You also have a friend who killed a bunch of mice to study <laughs> not prions, didn't study prions. Oh, no. Yeah, that's like a pretty heavy part of almost all like biological research, especially as it pertains to like humans. Obviously, you can't use humans as test subjects if you're doing something like super dangerous. So they use mice, they use other like analogs. And when I worked in the cancer lab, we always had like an animal component, but I never had to do any of it. I was only doing like protein analysis and like mixing fluids with each other and taking pictures. But when I worked in the neurology lab, we had to do, like, crazy brain things. <laughs> I had to, like, knock these mice out. Maybe don't put this in the podcast. <laughs> no, I mean, legitimately, this is, like, one of the reasons I stopped doing lab science. Oh, no. We would do what's called perfusion, which is where you pump paraformaldehyde through the still-beating heart of a mouse so that you can fix their brain, so that you essentially are, like, putting preservative in every little capillary inside their brain and then you cut out their brain and like put it in a test tube and later you take it and you cut off like little slices of it so you can look at it under a microscope oh boy (laughs) now when my brother was doing similar lab stuff and killing mice in multiple different ways he started having a lot of uh nightmares of mice Well, I mean, so the thing is, like, I worked in a neurology lab, and my lab was pretty small. We did, like, stuff specifically pertaining to cerebral palsy, and specifically cerebral palsy that presents in, like, neonatal children. Mm. So sometimes when premature births happen, or preterm, the baby's lungs haven't developed enough. So for the brief amount of time where the baby is born, but not yet in, like, an infant ICU, like, hooked up to air and stuff... They have no air going to their brain whatsoever. And so it causes brain damage that causes cerebral palsy. So what we were looking at is like, once that happens to a kid, how do you cure it? How do you fix it? So we were looking to like this pharmaceutical trial to see if this drug worked on it. But we also worked hand in hand with this other lab that was an Alzheimer's research lab. And so they did a bunch of stuff with like how neurons like connect to each other. And But there was a lot of like mouse work going on. During your job, did you ever make a psychic mouse or give a mouse like metal bones and claws that can come out of its little paws? I'm going to be pretty straight up with you, Ryland. Everything we did to those mice was like in order to make them worse mice, not better mice. (laughs) (laughs) Because we were trying to look at cerebral palsy in neonatal children, which means we had to duplicate the condition of a preterm birth for these mice in order to (laughs) like. So the opposite of the X-Men. Is it always mice? Not always. Okay. So we had a huge animal facility. And like, let me fucking tell you, I don't think you could ever pull this off. But I do wish that there was a way for me to show people how insanely crazy like an animal facility is. Like, if you've ever been to a hospital that has a university associated with it and they do like any research at all, chances are they have two or three floors of sub-basement that are an animal facility. Like you have to like key into every single door. There's like a place for people to like put on scrubs and like a full a full gear, which I was having to do. And then like literally would go and there's like just a room with racks and racks of mice. And there were other things in there too. There were like fucking monkeys, they had dogs, they had rabbits, they had rats. They had everything. It was Truly crazy. Now you were, so we know Blair, we all went to school together at CU Boulder. Was this at CU Boulder? Was Have you seen this other places? Uh, they had an animal facility at uh, UC Denver. My guess is Boulder 100% had something because they had like research going on. So I'm assuming they, they would have a facility like that. My sister did it in Boulder with mice. 
Yeah. 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 So that's, that's a pretty heavy part of science, I would say. I, it <laughs> yeah. is interesting, though, because like one of the reasons I stopped is because I didn't have any interest in doing that myself. But I think the interesting part of it is like from an ethical or like a moral standpoint, I do think it's tricky to be like this is definitively bad because right. almost all of our like medical gains in the past like 50 mm-hmm. years have been based around being able to like use animals as like experimental models for human human beings right and a lot of the work people do like literally saves lives so yeah it's just it's very weird though mm-hmm. i think it's interesting because like a lot of those places they have like a big problem with like keeping PETA out oh like sometimes like protesters or whatever will like get into the elevator oh, and boy. then like make their way into the facility and just start like letting out these animals that are like not doing great like these are like sick animals they do not they right. should not be released oh. in the wild oh. like they, some of them have fucking, like, viruses that, you know, like, sh- they shouldn't have. All kinds of crazy stuff. That's a good point. What do you think got you into biology? So both my parents are doctors. So I think a large part of it was just that my family talked about science a lot. We, like, whenever I, like, went to work with my dad or my mom, I was, like, in a research lab. And in high school, my mom was sort of, like, she wanted my brother and I to, like, get jobs. And one way she thought about it is pretty frequently, like, cancer labs or any type of lab. We'll just have, like, student research assistants. So my brother and I did that. My brother was really bad at it. I think he was just young, honestly. Like, I think you put a 14-year-old in a cancer biology lab. Like, I started when I was a senior in high school. And I was like, I know, I've, like, learned chemistry. I've learned biology. I, like, know what this is about. And my brother would be like, I really don't, like, why am I here? Right. And so I went one year, and then I came back the next. And my brother went one year and then, like, you know, did his own thing after that. That was probably what got me into it, was just literally working in a lab for, like, four years in a row. What type of work did your parents do? So my mom is a uh, cancer biologist. She does like GI cancer, so like uh, gastro stuff, intestine, stomach, pancreas, stuff like that. And then my dad is an ophthalmologist. It's an eye doctor, but he's like a research dude. Uh, he does have his medical doctorate, but he never he never really like practiced medicine. My mom like always saw patients in like clinical trials and stuff. But my dad was mainly like a research professor guy. Mm. But he ran a lot of tests with Drosophila, which are fruit flies. Um, so he would do tests on like their eyes and like how eye cells develop in flies and different things like that. Why? I've always wondered this flies because it seems like it'd be real hard. So what's good about flies is that they're easy to manipulate genetically because their life's their like reproductive cycle is like a week or two. OK, so if you want to do something and then test it and then test it again with like flies of the next generation and then maybe do another series after that, uh, it's really easy to do with flies. And there's another reason why they're used as a model organism a lot. And I think it's because their eye cell development is super similar to ours. And they might also have a similar number of chromosomes. Well, I know I know that uh, Jeff Goldblum, he really spearheaded that fly yeah, research. Yeah, and, and he found a lot of common biology between human and fly biology. He did. I, he I, really I did. By the end of the movie, you would you could even say they were one and the same. Well, uh, documentary. And uh, yes. he provided his own second generation <laughs> to do further testing on. I haven't seen the movie we're talking about, and this is really not selling it to me. <laughs> I think it's The Fly. Are you guys talking about The Fly? Blair, maybe I'm thinking too much in terms of movies, uh, but <laughs> you think? Did, were your parents supportive? Because the way that I know you is through comedy, and I can imagine two doctor parents seeing their son doing a lot of comedy and being like, you're wasting your time, boy. Stop, stop making the laughs. This is about cancer research. Has there ever been any conflict 
youth there. I mean, you moved to Chicago for comedy, right? Yeah. They, so my parents have always been super supportive. That's awesome. I, I always think about it and I'm like, if I didn't get a college degree, I think that's where their like line was. You know, you have to get a bachelor's degree. Mm, and yeah. I didn't necessarily need to get a science degree. I remember for a little while I was thinking I wasn't going to. But I think the fact that I did, did like make them think, oh, well, yeah, maybe he did get his shit together. But yeah, I don't know. My, my parents have always been pretty supportive. I think comedy is an interesting thing because it's like, yeah, at this point, not really like a super respected like path. But also whenever I talk to my parents about it, I think they know that like I'm not just like doing comedy because I don't have like other shit I would be good at. There's an aspect of it that's like. This is like something I'm interested in and happen to be like also good at generally. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to follow this and like see if this is the thing that I'll fill my time with. Are you constantly pointing to uh, what is that guy? Ken Jung, the guy that was a doctor (laughs) for most of his life and then became an actor, a comedy actor. Like, see? Oh, yeah, yeah. Honestly, (laughs) the other comparison I get is Bill Nye. Oh, Um, yeah. Bill Nye, a science guy. Mm -hmm. Because he was a stand-up comedian with, like, some science background and then did that whole show. And now he's, like, a science celebrity. I did not know he started as a stand-up comedian. That's crazy. Yeah, I don't know what his total path was, but I definitely know he was a stand-up comic wow. for at least a little while. And just the filthiest stuff, too. Just <laughs> oh, yeah. Dirtiest. For real? No, no. Dirtiest. Oh. Raunchiest stuff. I hate that Like when everyone's like, did you guys know every time the cameras weren't rolling, Mr. Rogers just said fuck a bunch. <laughs> and, and, like, I don't want up. my childhood things to be edgy. Yeah. Did Neil deGrasse grass have some sort of is he just charismatic and like pleasant to listen to yeah i don't know i actually kind of find those two in particular to be really interesting because they exist in this weird space of like entertainer slash like academic personality and so you're supposed to be like listening to them because they have all the right information but then also you're like it's kind of like captured by their personality to a certain degree. But personally, I don't enjoy watching either of them as somebody who is like a little bit more science literate because a lot of what they do is like dumb concepts down right. like to a significant degree because they're they're trying to be so wide in their in their general appeal, which I think like is funny because it ends up being that like Oh, I like science, so I don't give a fuck about these science personalities because they they're not targeted towards me. They're right. like they're trying to get like Joe Schmo coming home from work who knows nothing about science to be like, yeah, I've never thought about the universe and how it was created before. That's pretty fucking cool. <laughs> Nitrogen. Yeah, it's like back in the day when Galileo would go on the late night talk shows and he was like, oh, this guy thinks he's so smart with his wings and stuff. Come on, I know all about that. <laughs> Are you thinking of Michelangelo? Galileo, didn't he make flapping wings? You're talking about Da Vinci. You're 100% talking about Da Vinci. That's how he discovered the moon, is he made those flappy wings and he got up real close to the stars and he found all the stuff. Yeah, Galileo's the guy who got tortured to death by the Catholic Church. Oh, those were the wings that he got. Okay. All right, y'all. Life Pile Podcast is the podcast for eukaryotes who like to split their cells through mitosis. Every week, we give a lifestyle reviews of the biggest lifestyles to live. This week, we're going to be doing biological lifestyles. But before that, we're going to do some live on-air lifestyling for your biological creatures. And uh, Blair, we'd like you to bring your scientific expertise to bear on these segments, if you don't mind. Absolutely. I'm, I'm here for you guys. But before yes. we get into any of that, why don't we see what's going on in the news by jumping into the bullpen? Hello, 
Cam. I'm out here on the field of Alaska, uh, where we have just named 2018's Fattest Bear. Uh, coming in at a... How much does this fucking bear weigh? <laughs> we don't have an exact weight of this bear, just a picture of how fat it is. Bead nose in Alaska Brown Bear. One of your other competitors was a male bear called 747. Oh, 747. <laughs> like the jet airplane. So vote, voters online voted for Beadnose, a female Alaska brown bear, to be the fattest bear. Wow, pretty cool. <laughs> I actually saw this on Twitter. There's, yeah, there's some, like, scientific newspaper that is, like, tracking a bunch of bears in Canada. And it's like, here's all the scientific, like, specimens we have and how much they weigh. Vote for your favorite. <laughs> I saw this too, and I think it was pretty imprecise because there's so many other factors, I think, being taken in, like charisma and the rotundness and like girth and different distributions. It's not always a number sometimes with fat bears. Which bear won Miss Congeniality? That was Chonk Buster. <laughs> Hails from Maine. Love that name. Chonk Buster also did great in the swimsuit section. Yes. Oh, yeah. I like that. These are some hot bears, too. The only bracket I'm more interested in is I want to know who's the world's fattest otter. Which otter is so fat you can't hold its hand. Oh, my goodness. We have a special report. I've just been handed this special report coming in from field operative. Blair Britt, ex-scientist. Blair, what's going on out there? Uh, I'm out here. I'm in a I'm in a science lab. Go figure, huh? Isn't that crazy? I made my way into a science lab, snuck by through, through some of the magnetic doors, and I'm talking to this guy. He uh, first comment was, "Get the fuck out of here! What are you doing? This is a sterile environment. And you're not wearing gloves." After shaking his hand several times, he's agreed to tell me a few facts about what they seem to be doing here. It looks like what they're doing in this lab. They've taken the rabies. Virus Virus. Turns out the infectious nature of the rabies virus and how it's able to jump from neuron to neuron is very useful when you are infecting mice brains to see how exactly they transmit thought across all of the different centers of the brain. They've taken the rabies virus. They've genetically modified it so that it, instead of transferring the rabies virus, now transfers a different thing that will activate the neuron whenever you shine a particular color of light on this mouse. And now the mouse can be triggered to think whenever you flash like a light of a specific color at it. So then what they do is they uh, infect some mice with different areas of the brain based off of what target neuron they're looking for and then just see what's, you know, what's going on. So they are just flashing a light and they're able to make this mouse think that it is falling over. So it flexes all of its limbs and like starts to like balance itself out. And then when they stop shining the light, it like starts walking normal again and then they put it back. Truly insane stuff at this science lab. And Blair Britt, is this being studied at the labs at Coca-Cola Corporate? Because I've heard they are trying to design a brain virus so that every time you see the Coca-Cola logo, you have to buy a Coca-Cola. Um, yeah, I'm in Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola Studio a Science Lab right now, actually. I'm actively signing an NDA, though, so I'm going to have to <laughs> I'm going to have to retcon that after the fact. I think it doesn't count because I hadn't signed it just yet, but they're, they're shuffling me through a lot of different paperwork. I mean, these guys seem pissed. 
Blair, Blair, is this somehow related to all those American funniest home videos montages of kids fainting in a choir concert? Yes. Is there someone in the audience shining a light at these rabies infected kids and they're falling over? Is that is that what I'm understanding here? Yeah, I mean, don't don't tell these scientists I said anything, but it does seem like they're being kind of lazy about some of the protocols here, and it does seem like some of these viruses might have gotten into the general public. Well, it was pretty easy for you to get in, so I can only imagine. Imagine one of these test kids getting out into the wild, growing up, being in a choir, <laughs> falling over. Singing, playing the tambourine. <laughs> oh, man. It's always so exciting and terrifying to drop into the bullpen, but let's get out of the news and get into some live on-air lifestyling. Now, normally it would cost tens of thousands of dollars to hire us as lifestylists, and I'm sure Blair's services as an ex-scientist come pretty expensive as well. Well, we've banded together to give our audience some free on-air lifestyling. If you need lifestyling, you can call 720-663-8163. That's 720-663-8163 and leave a voicemail there. We'll tell you whether to live it or to leave it to whatever you're doing. You can also email us at lifepileshow at gmail.com. Now, Dylan, what was our prompt from last week or from the Instagram or... Dylan, Dylan, take over. Uh, take care of your poor sweet babe, Camden. <laughs> All right, I got you, Cam. Shh, 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 shh. There, there, I got you, buddy. So last week, we announced that we were going to be doing this biology episode that we're here in right now, and we asked our listeners, what is something cool about your own body? We got a few responses. Great, so let's go ahead and have Gabe come out, and uh, Gabe, why don't you come out here and read those responses? Gabe? Gabe? Where is he? Would somebody Dick? check on the little hutch we made for him? Oh my God, Cam! Look under the stairs. Cam, I'm looking at his kennel right now. The door is open. The door is just swinging open, <laughs> and Gabe is not in there. <gasps> Did he submit a sick day request on his time card? I don't see it. it. the The Excel spreadsheet is empty. Did he no call, no show? You guys, I have a crudely scrawled note on a piece of toilet paper here in the back of his kennel. Let me just uncrinkle it. Yeah. Okay. It's written in toothpaste. Mm-hmm. Uh, Illegible. It, just, it looks illegible. It looks illegible. Uh, we can only assume this was a goodbye of some sort. Or a grocery list. <laughs> he, he, I didn't like giving him pens. Okay, he's probably just hung over in some gutter someplace. Social yeah. moral reprobate. Right. So why don't we do what we always do and put the team on our backs and we'll just read the suggestions ourselves. <laughs> and when Gabe gets back next week, I'll tell him what I think. Of his no call, no show. <laughs> what was the prompt again? What was what's the your favorite part of your own biology? What's a cool thing about your body? Well, our first user submission we have here is a uh, cool thing about my body. One day it will die and not have to pay bills. That's a top body fact for me. Impermanence gives our lives meaning. No, if we all lived forever, then nothing would mean anything, huh? Okay, maybe that's not a biology thing. That's a ph philosophical thing. Uh, no, no, that, <laughs> I think that is biology. There are some organisms that don't die. They just reproduce or like clone themselves over mm -hmm. and over. But a lot of people talk about evolution using death as a way of constantly refreshing the genome so that it stays like fresh and current and mm -hmm. you don't have like fucking old people like cloning themselves over and over again at, because they are not going to be successful in like 50 years or 100 years because it'll be like a changing environment. Sure, sure. Another great part about being mortal is that eventually I won't have to learn kids slang anymore. And if I was a mortal, I'd have to keep putting on a backwards baseball cap and be like, hey, kids, I'm hip. What's the tea today? 
I feel like baby boomers would would want to be fucking. I'm sorry to bash them twice on one episode. <laughs> no, I love it. But They're like, asking fucking, for it. That is totally a baby boomer scientific goal. Like, sure, I think some people in our generation will probably pursue it as well. But that strikes me as something that's like, oh, I refuse to let society progress past its 1950s standards, mm-hmm. and I wish everything would just stay the fucking same. They're the generation that invented the 1950s-themed diner, so of course they want to lock everything in. Right. <laughs> it might not be a nationwide deal, but I know back in Colorado, where the four of us are from, we got a good old Gunther Tooties, which is a 50s-style diner chain, and that is absolutely a monument to the greatest generation. I didn't think about that. I don't know if it's still open. Oh. The one near me close oh, oh this is the future liberals one yes <laughs> hashtag resist and i feel like there's there's the factors of uh medical advancements and maybe we're eating a little bit better and we're not microwaving plastic and then spooning it into our cereal but then on the other side of that we do have to bring it all the way back to baby boomers there are factors of like our environment. Are we factoring in like the heat death of the sun and like the and global warming and ice caps into human life expectancies? In which case, I might say this is maybe comparable to what it has been. If I can yeah. live to like 200 years old, but the planet will cut me off. But it's like, I guess the people who were 70 then when they were thinking of those thoughts of like, oh, what what will our life expectancy be like? We can 3D print an exact replica of your heart in a material that your body will take and be able to use. And I mean, I don't think any generation for us has been able to do that. Are we going to start having like a scion car approach to human bodies where you'll just keep swapping out the yeah. engine and the tires and putting a fan on your butt. Like a fucking gaming PC, just swapping out the ingredients when they stop working. Yeah. We really need to tackle Alzheimer's and dementia though, because don't matter if we change out the engine, if that brain ain't working, it's what's it all for, you know? Shine a blue light on someone's brain and say, stop having Alzheimer's <laughs> is the command. It's just like the police interrogation room and you just Pull the lamp over. Stop having Alzheimer's. I remember everything. You've given me back my childhood. Oh, God. I don't know. Like, and we will take it away if you don't tell us who you killed. (laughs) (laughs) Here's another user submission. The favorite part of my body is my geographic tongue. It's a mixture of benign migratory glossitis and lesions. Mm, Uh, Mmm. Special guest for Blair. Do you know what those words mean? Uh, did you say fasciitis? Was that in there? Glossitis. Glossitis. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. So the only word I know anything about in that is probably tongue and then secondarily lesions. (laughs) I think I can imagine what a lesion on a tongue looks like. Even then, though, not super Uh scientifically aware of what the source might be. Also, the fact that they called it a geographic tongue, I feel like has to be a Mm -hmm. misnomer or maybe just like a metaphorical name for something. In my mind, it looks it looks like a map, right? (laughs) Yes, exactly. Maybe it's one of those maps that shows you how tall things are. What do they call those? Topographic. Yeah, Yeah, topographic. Looks like a topographical map. Cam, you should know that. Being from Colorado, I feel like everybody should know what a topographic map looks like. I've been in Chicago too long. Yeah, you forgot. (laughs) everything i'm losing it i can't i can't breathe right in the mountains anymore my red blood cells are all gone i'm losing it boys oh yeah that's real i can't taste gold on the wind anymore i don't know what i'm doing (laughs) 
I don't know how well this person's tongue works as a tongue, but it sounds like a pretty good skate park. Nothing brings me back to middle school, like hopping on my skateboard and grinding on some lesions. <laughs> Hell yes. You guys remember that episode of uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Miss Frizzle Bus? And they, uh, and they shrink down and they do all those fucking sweet tricks on the inside of Bill Murray's intestines. Yes. Oh yeah, until that. I got a third reference in there. I was pretty proud of that. Yeah, looking at the Bing image results. Uh, no. Oh. Oh, Why Bing, buddy? Why Bing? This is a recurring thing with this podcast is they turn safe search off and they search horrible things like sexy bionicles or apparently this. It's the only search engine that works is Bing image search with safe search off. There's a disappointing amount of porn on this uh, image Does that mean search. a lot or a little? <laughs> That's up for you to find out. I <laughs> uh, just got a new user submission. That's wild. How'd that happen? While we were on the air. Yeah. Uh, this one comes in. It says, the favorite thing about my body, I've got three nipples. Hey. That's pretty cool. You guys have the normal or normal amount of nipples? Uh, you mean three? <laughs> yeah. That's Yes. I'm by nip. I'm... Uh, binipular. Uh, binipular. I'm that subset of human being. So what I about too y'all? am binipular. I just have one nipple. I've I've shown you guys my nipples. You've seen. I'm binips too. Yeah. I'm I'm in the same I'm in the same boat. <sighs> See, I I think I'm binipular, and then I think about what counts for a nipple these days. I feel like everyone is like, oh yeah, I got seven, and they point to like yeah. three different freckles, and then one <laughs> of them's like a light colored patch, and I'm like, I never really. I'm looking for like. Areola, the nubbin, milk. the milk, and it's never quite what I want it to be when people tell me they have like eight nipples. I want them to be lined up to like a cat. Now, Blair, how far would you say we are away from a rabies virus that will give people six nipples down their tummy? I don't think you could engineer a rabies virus to do that. Maybe you're not trying hard enough. I think that's true, but I still think it would be difficult to do. You know what, I I was just going to, a quick aside about the rabies virus. Something I think is really interesting is that we cured the fuck out of that virus, right? Like, we have so many vaccines for it. We, like, people get inoculated, like, at birth for some versions of it. And, like, there's all this, like, crazy, crazy stuff where we've really locked it down, right? But back in the day, rabies used to be insane. Like, Mm -hmm. it used to be terrifying to people. The idea that you would just, like, walk outside and there would be this nuts dog, like, just waiting to bite the shit out of you. (laughs) Like, a a virus that infects somebody in, like, your saliva glands to make, like, infectious drool so that if that animal bites you. And then it also sends shit to your brain to tell you to bite people. Yeah. And I just think it's interesting that, like, cancer doesn't present as terrifying so we just haven't spent as much resources like really locking that shit down right and it's also probably more complicated but (laughs) for sure but there are like viruses out there like influenza or whatever that like affect a lot of people uh and i do feel like one aspect of rabies getting like kind of like locked up like hundreds of years ago was because it truly was like a werewolf disease and everybody was like yeah that that shit's got to go. We'll put the whole fucking medical community on that. Right. I'm waiting for the day, like a thousand years in the future, where there'll be an infection that commands its host to, like, look at you a certain way from across a bar and then uh, <laughs> kind of sidle up to you and make playful conversation. And then maybe up six months down the road, you guys decide to be exclusive. And then, you know, maybe a couple of years later, you're standing there at the altar in front of your friends and family. And then after a nice life together, 
the host gets this command to just like go to the cabinet, take out a syringe, draw some blood from their arm and then plunge it into their lover's neck. Just anything to reproduce. I was thinking like this, this lover has like never given you a hickey before, but then on your wedding night, they give you a hickey and that is what transfers the virus. It's like this fucking bite they took out of your neck. What do we call this virus? Uh, slow rabies. <laughs> I love it. If you want to put a science word in there, dormant rabies. Dormant rabies. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. yeah. This is how vampirism starts, I think, from like a, like a lot of people talk about science fiction being like, sometimes they have the, the thing where it's like, ooh, vampires didn't exist, but now, due to this crazy virus, now they do. Right. Well, also, like, I've heard the theory that the uh, folklore idea of vampires came from people being killed by bacteria and viruses and people didn't know about bacteria and viruses. So they just see other people who are getting sick the same way that dead person did. And it's like, oh, the dead person's sucking the life out of them. I just like to eat garlic plain a lot. Is that a good call on my part? Yeah. Okay. Great call. Yeah. Cool. Super healthy. It's a superfood. I don't think that's just true, eat it with yeah. a fork. Gross. That's disgusting. No, not it's, it's olive really, oil. It's really good for you though. For real, dude. Mm. Well, that doesn't work on me. I eat bad shit all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's always like finding a unicorn when I can disgust Ryland and he can disapprove of my behavior because of the <laughs> wide list of things Ryland did. I'm a shit eater. I, uh, I just a quick side note. The character I play in my uh, podcast is a cyborg. And for a while, there was this big thing on Twitter where people were trying to figure out whether or not he had nipples because he's a cyborg and he has like some human parts and some robot parts. So everybody was like, listen, here's the thing we need to know. Does he have nipples or does he not have nipples? Um, I did not pick a side because honestly, I just didn't want to definitively declare it one way or the other. Let people have their head cannon. Exactly. But what I did say was in my head cannon, Zenith, the character I play, doesn't have two nipples. He has a cloud of smart nipples that are all microscopic that sort of like follow him around, but also like disseminate everywhere that he's ever been. And he just leaves little like computer tracker devices all over the place. Wow. Well, if that's not getting Ryland interested in Neoscom, <laughs> I don't know what is. Honestly, for that particular feature, you should maybe just check out Werner Vinge because that's where I stole that idea oh. from. <laughs> Thank you so much for that scoop, though. Wow. Ryland, did we have more listener submissions? We do. The last one we have is the favorite part of my body. <laughs> I have only one clubbed thumb. What does that mean? A clubbed thumb? It's one of those thumbs that always goes out at nights and satin shirts and does a bunch of coke and uh, tries to get with women. You know what this really means is Megan Fox listens to this show. Oh, gosh. She has a club thumb. She mu- she's the only person in the world with a club thumb. It's her, guys. I've heard this a few times. To- <laughs> Toe thumbs is what Ryland's referring to. Have you guys ever seen Megan Fox's thumbs? Oh, uh, like if you get your thumb cut off, but you still got your toe, they'll take your toe and I'll put it on your thumb. Uh-huh. That's real. They actually is that, that real? Yeah, yeah. Wait, what? Ooh. Like if you if toe thumbs are legitimately a like amputation strategy to like give people the mobility back after I, they lose their thumb. My God, I never knew this. I don't think this is the case with Megan. I, <laughs> I don't think that's what they're talking about. Listen, I was getting coffee with Megan the other day, and she was telling me all about the Thresher accident. That got her career in Hollywood started. Yeah, I mean, looking at this picture, that could be a toe that was attached to her hand. Who knows? Who knows? But- we have a an ex-scientist on the show right now 
uh, in your professional opinion, can you make a diagnosis either way? I mean, what do we know about Megan Fox? We know that she is raising a child gender neutral. She's had a really successful career. She's a Taurus like me. She's an outspoken feminist. She got her thumb cut in the door of Bumblebee while it was transformed. <laughs> I, I, I don't know that anyone has ever gotten a full story about Megan's thumbs. I think we just really got preoccupied as a culture in the early thousands with finding something wrong with her body. Yeah. They look different in every picture I see. Yeah, I feel like I can't trust any of these images. Like, these seem like something that would be in a magazine as you check out. Mm -hmm. Yes, this is like a National Enquirer. I mean, she did just write in and say it was the favorite part of her body, so that's really cool. I'm proud of her for embracing it like that, you know? Yeah. Good for you, Megan. Yeah, we got a second in the body positivity. Megan, you're beautiful. Every head to toe. Head yeah. to toe. Being body positive is telling famous celebrities that they look beautiful. <laughs> Who's going to do it if not us? It's time to make a stand, boys. It's time to make a stand. <laughs> All right, y'all. Thanks for sending in your submissions. We sure appreciate all the life pile of the life pile army. I'm never going to call them lippers. <laughs> <laughs> Who said they wanted to call our fans? It wasn't lippers? me. I want lips. Rylan said lips. I said LPs. Well, you're both very wrong. Yeah, they're all dumb. But let's get into some reviewing some of the biggest lifestyles out there. As lifestyle experts and lifestylists, we like to review some of the biggest lifestyles and see how we should be living. All right. It's a February day in 2018, and 100 or so people are packed into a small conference venue in Austin, Texas. The panel of speakers seated in front of the audience are discussing developments and new vaccinations. Seated stage left at the end of the table is a man in his mid-20s wearing blue jeans and a t-shirt, screen printed with the words, Science Gangster. As the panel talks, he stares at a pile of gloves, bottles, and syringes for a moment. The panel member closest him notices and silently points to one of the syringes. The man nods and begins sterilizing the needle. As this happens, one of the panel members, clad in a suit and tie, is addressing the audience. He explains that their small company, Ascendance Biomedical, is running its own clinical test for an experimental herpes treatment. It's then that the man speaking, Aaron Trawick, pulls down his pants in front of the crowd. The science gangster hands him the prepped needle and Aaron plunges it into his thigh. The crowd applauds. We prefer to do everything before a live audience so you can hold us accountable in the days to come as we collect the data to prove whether or not this works, he says. This demonstration is part of the Biohacking Con, a traveling conference that, as the website puts it, is dedicated to, quote, wearable and implantable tech, brain-computer interfaces, prosthetic technology, gene therapy, bioethics, cyborg art, and the newest research. Aaron Trawick, Ascendance Biomedical, and their stunt at Biohacking Con immediately put them under tight scrutiny, garnering attention from scientists and critics, and a statement from the FDA stating that the sale and use of DIY gene therapies are against the law. A comment from another hyper-visible biohacker, Josiah Zayner, said, quote, The idea that any scientist, biohacker or not, has created a cure for a disease with no testing and no data is more ridiculous than believing jet fuel melts steel beams. Zayner is no stranger to using spectacle in order to draw attention to biohacking, though. Josiah, a former NASA research fellow, is the 35-year-old founder of the Open Discovery Institute, or ODIN, and he has conducted an entire microbiome transplant, complete with fecal enema, in front of a reporter in a hotel room in order to cure digestive issues. He has publicly debated the Food and Drug Administration staffers about the legality of him selling kits of pipettes, petri dishes, DNA, yeast, and instructions for turning that yeast into an alcoholic honeymead beverage that expresses fluorescent green glow-in-the-dark traits. 
He has applied a DNA plasmid of his own making directly to his skin in order to make his cells overproduce melanin, or in other words, he tried to give himself a genetic henna tattoo. The experiment ultimately failed. Most famously, while taking intermittent swigs from a flask of scotch, Zayner live-streamed himself in a stunt very similar to the one conducted by Aaron Trawick, in which he injected his left forearm with DNA encoding that theoretically would disrupt a muscle gene and cause his muscles to begin growing faster than normal. The stunt captured the imagination of thousands of people eager to purchase their own DIY DNA CRISPR kits, which are available for purchase on Zayner's website. Immediately, people began drawing comparisons to Captain America, the Incredible Hulk, or any variation on the modern mad scientist trope you can think of. And since that video's release in October of 2017 and the backlash that then ensued, Josiah has had more time to reflect on the impact and greater implications of his widespread use of DIY gene therapy. He says, quote, there's no doubt in my mind that somebody is going to end up hurt eventually. So I turn it over to you, my good dudes. DIY, homebrew, kitchen counter, genetic engineering, live it or leave it. Also postscript, it should be added that scientists at Ascendance Biomedical from the first story, became upset after some false claims were made by Aaron Trawick days after his demonstration at the biohacking con, and shortly after they made their opinions public, Trawick locked all employees out of the company website, changed the locks on their lab, piled their equipment up outside, and barricaded himself inside the lab. Trawick proceeded to shut down the organization, started planning a CRISPR gene therapy trial for treatment of lung cancer that he was going to conduct in Tijuana, Mexico, but on April 29th in Washington, D.C., Trawick was found dead floating in a sensory deprivation tank. A toxicology report showed he had ketamine in his system, though an autopsy report provided to Bloomberg News by the office of the chief medical examiner showed he had accidentally drowned. This guy sounds nuts. <laughs> I mean, I, I understand. It goes back to like our discussion of Bill Nye and Neil deGrasse, where it's like in order to get the general public into science, you can't just straight up science. You have to add some level of dumbing down to it or oversimplifying or in this case, theatrics, yeah. injecting yourself with gene therapy in front of a live audience. Yeah. On the one hand, I'm like, yes, these people are little nuts bananas. And I'm trying to actively tell myself like the quote biohacking community is not represented wholly by these two people. Right, yeah. There are actual smart people who are in that community who are like, know what the fuck is actually going on. But it could go wrong. I don't yeah. trust yeah. myself making ceviche in my kitchen <laughs> because fish can be tricky, right? Same with gene therapy. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of all the animals in Blair's labs that if they got out, it could be a really bad scene, you know, because like even in a controlled environment, these experiments can be super dangerous and have negative consequences. So having one dude shoving a fecal enema up his ass uh, in front of a reporter and like he knows what he's doing. I mean, hopefully, but I, I would rather it be tested on a bunch of poor little innocent animals first. <laughs> He did report his stomach felt better after doing that. He'd been kind of plagued with these like digestive problems his whole life. And he, he said it made him feel better. All right. I should try it. I'm not saying listener, <laughs> by the way, okay. Disclaimer, people <laughs> listening, do not give yourself a fecal enema. Yeah. And second disclaimer, people listening, give yourself tentacles. If you're gonna <laughs> DIY hack your genes, 
Don't give yourself a henna tattoo. Give yourself octopus skin that changes colors and some sweet tentacles. Here's my thing about this guy, though. You're like you're right in that the FDA like stops a lot of people getting the medicine that they need, and like legitimate medical procedures that would probably help some patients are like slowed down by this bureaucracy. But this is all marketing. This dude is just trying to sell hacking packs, right? Like, yeah, right. and all, even the shit he's doing on like live camera and shit is like. Literally just trying to make him more money. Like, his company lives and dies off of, like, selling these fucking yeast packs to make glow-in-the-dark beer that might or not, might not be safe. But I think, like, I don't know. I, I think some of that stuff, some of these, like, biohacking people are, like, a little bit like the the super conservative right that is like, yeah, we should deregulate everything so right. that the free market can exist. And, like, what comes of this will come of it and what doesn't won't. And it's, like... I don't know. Some of that stuff scares the fuck out of me because, like, a lot of medical science is dangerous. And it's interesting to think about, like, yeah, CRISPRs are insane. They can literally rewrite your genetic code. And I don't think you should release just random shit to the public without, like, having some sort of testing applied to it. Right. Yeah. Especially, like, even with that fecal transplant, he's like, oh, my tummy feels great. And it's like, well, you're a data sample of one. So there's no way to prove any correlation between the stuff you put in your butt and how your tummy's feeling today. I have conducted many tests on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's an old data set. Yeah, yeah. I got a PowerPoint for you. Yeah, it's true. On the one hand, I'm inclined to be like, great. Yeah, like if those dumb, dumb people want to like play around with this stuff, then like it can go wrong and like in itself will be like a natural selection process. But then you're like, what if someone creates I'm always going to bring it back to vampires, you guys. It's like the, it could be like the spread of CRISPR technology willy nilly can be like the spread of anti-vax ideology in which it's not just a confined problem for the people who are right. dumb enough to play with fire. It becomes everyone's yeah. problem. And oh, God, please don't. Yeah. And like, I don't think this has happened yet. But like, what about a engineered virus? Right. And like. This would be such an easy vehicle to distribute a product that completely fucks your shit up and infects anybody around you. It's just like there's so many like you can't do that in Coca-Cola, right? You can't make a Coke product so fucking crazy. So someone selling like moonshine or something out the back, like worst thing that might happen might be one person dies. But in some of this stuff, like genetics are super fucked. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the thing is I think there's some like confliction about it because we're used to making sacrifices to explore new territories and new frontiers. So like when we were sending people into submarines for the first time, it's like, yeah, some of you guys are going to die. And when you're sending people into space, it's like, yeah, some of you guys are going to die. So we expect loss on new frontiers and we expect some brave, crazy people to be the ones who are like willing enough to take this challenge that they'll roll the dice on dying. But now the difference is that you end up with a wart that explodes and infects everybody in the diner. Yeah, I feel like this dude just wants to make a ton of money off these like crazy weird packs they're selling out of the back of their truck or whatever the fuck. Ain't that the greatest irony, like parading under the guise of like, I want to take it out of the hands of like these corporations like the who's the guy who has the fucking documentary about him on Netflix for hiking the price of that. Yeah, yeah. That dude's a real scumbag. What's his fucking name? Martin Screlly. Martin Screlly, yeah, yeah, pharma bro. Oh my god, right. Oh. I feel like this is supposed to be a response to that, and then flip it around. This these people are just doing whatever it takes in order to sell their little like CRISPR kits online, and they're not cheap. They're like a, a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, totally. Now, all that said, 
Ryland, we've chained you up in a metal room. You're never getting out. We gave you some CRISPR kits. You got all the codes, all the keys. I need to know what you would do with your own CRISPR kit. What are you trying to engineer for yourself, buddy? Yeah, you got me locked up in this room, huh? Well, you know what I want? I, I would love Spider-Man sticky skin. Sp- Spider-Man sticky skin. Stinky? Are you, did you say stinky skin? <laughs> <laughs> St- sticky He's got skin. that already. I want the sticky skin of Spider-Man. I would never drop anything ever again. Like, I can bring all my groceries in at once every single time, you know? So is this sticky all over you so, like, you can't wipe your butt because the tissue paper just gets oh, stuck fuck. to it? Well, I would just get a bidet. I would get a bidet. That's a Spider-Man mechanic I've always been curious about because he does get to decide when something is on him forever and when he gets to set (laughs) something down or pick it up. Well, because it's not sticky, right? Isn't it a little bit like little tiny bristles? Sure. It's like like little tiny like spider spider grip. Does he have control over each of those bristles? Yeah. Is he willing them out of his skin whenever he's sticking to something? Yeah, they do. Remember in like the first Spider-Man movie or like not the first one by Sony anyway, where they like zoom in on his hand. Hand and he has all these like super tiny little hairs and they're like wriggling back and forth. I think he can like control them individually. What? That'd be so sick. So I mean, so sick because you could give each one a little glow stick and it would be like a Korean pop concert. Oh my god! <laughs> that would be awesome. All right. Well, on the whole, y'all DIY biohacking gene therapy at your home. It's gonna be a leave it from me. Ooh. Yeah, I gotta say, there's a lot of dangers that you're doing to society, or a lot of risks you're taking on on the behalf of society when you do this, and society should have the ability to consent before you make a new mixture between anthrax and the common cold. And on the flip side, the prosthetics industry could be doing what they're supposed to be doing and getting me my tentacles, and getting me my camouflage suit, and getting me my toucan beak. So let's say leave it to DIY gene hacking and live it to getting off our keisters and making me robot tentacles. Yeah, for me, I don't know. It is it is too too risky and too scary. However, I do want to stick everything to me. Uh, so if they can sell me that, this is a definite live it. <laughs> I'm going to have to say, leave it. I think our, I'll let my kids generation figure out the whole, like, make your own body, you know, change, <laughs> change what you don't like, like change yourself into a frog, like make yourself have lizard skin, yes. all that kind of stuff. All I can think about when I think about this stuff is the dudes who get their tongue like split in half mm-hmm. uh, to do the little, like, little, 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 yeah. and then, uh, <laughs> and then get like weird, like little, like pellet skin, like they get their fucking face like done up, like lizard skin anyway not my cup of tea maybe someone else's cup of tea but honestly i main thing is fuck that dude for like trying to sell people like unregulated shit i think that's super dangerous Mm -hmm. but if people are into it in the future as long as it's safe then it's all chill yeah and you know on the flip side i will be selling a diy gene hacking kit to ryland what he doesn't know it is it is just a bottle of honey (laughs) But uh, after that first application, he's going to be so sticky and I'm going to have one happy customer. (laughs) How much does that retail for, Cam? 
Well, to produce, it costs about $5 from the Walgreens. It retails for $5,000. Hey, uh, include some glow sticks with that, and you've got a sale. Hey, guys. So uh, I started out uh, my LifePile career with the Kamasu 2.0, a.k.a. a modern take on how to make love with your partner. So I know you all think of me as Ryland, a.k.a. the sexpert. (laughs) But really, I think there is more that I can learn from the animal kingdom. All right. So I've gone and delved into animal sex. All right. And we're going to look at some of the best sex around. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So seahorses, they keep their babies in the men. Uh, gorillas, they have the <laughs> tiniest penises. We all know these things, okay? So I, I tried to find some stuff that we don't necessarily know, but I'm sure some people already know this, especially Blair. Like, Blair, did you know that flies have the longest sperm in the world? No, I did not. How long is it? <laughs> Each fly sperm is about five centimeters long, which is insane. What? That's like a thousand times human sperm. It's also bigger than a fly. Right. <laughs> it's just like a coiled up snake that lives in is the fly. Is it a plate of spaghetti that shoots out? <laughs> you know, <laughs> did you guys know that armadillos, bears and badgers have one of the best birth control techniques around? Is it the pullout method? You know I've heard of that one. Or is it being gay? <laughs> that one's worked good for me. They can pause their pregnancies. So if they get pregnant, they can put the embryo into a dormant state until the conditions are good for birth. And I'm guessing you can't get pregnant again if you already got one in the oven, you know? Huh. Wow. I wonder if all of these animals hibernate because that would make sense because then you don't want to ha- be given birth while you've been sleeping for three months right. and you wake up with oh. a baby next to you. It always wows me when I hear about families who practice family bed. I think we've maybe talked about this and it's where like people have a newborn baby and instead of getting a cradle, they're like, we just got a bigger bed. I'm like, if you gave birth while you were hibernating, I would be so worried about <laughs> rolling over on your baby, just oh, like yeah. I'm worried for these family yeah. bed people. You really should not sleep in the same bed as your baby. No. That's so dangerous. Yeah. Ryland? Ryland, looking at you. <laughs> yeah. Looking at you, buddy. <laughs> Don't sleep with your baby. Uh, you can't stop me. Uh, did you guys know? Okay, so pandas, they are so lazy they won't have sex. But you know how they're they're getting them to have sex? panda porn they are recording videos of other pandas having sex and then showing it to pandas who get horny watching those videos and they have sex you guys know how all human sex starts right which is that the couple gets together you watch an hour or two of porn to slowly get you guys in the mood, and then you finally have sex with the with the person. That's yeah. how it's gone every time for me. I just hate <laughs> that pandas have drawn the short straw and have had it tough so far, and they don't want to have sex, and then we're going to layer porn on top of that. Now all these pandas are going to have these unrealistic body expectations. They're going to all be thinking they should look like that panda with the cinched waist, but the huge butt, and then like disproportionate sized boobs. And it's like, that's only going to worsen this sex problem because all these pandas are going to be like, oh, I want to hold out for that hot jacked CrossFit panda that I know is coming up on my panda Tinder. Yeah. And it's like that panda's a figment. Yeah. It doesn't exist. Yeah. Now, 
Dylan, yes, there are a lot of cons, but on the positive side, I do love getting to see these pandas in pizza delivery man <laughs> outfits and in plumber outfits and in teacher outfits. It's adorable. I'm just worried for when pandas discover hentai, you know, then then it's oh really boy. OK. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that sheep, they have this specific thing that they do when they're initiating homosexual courtship? So sheep are one of the few animals that will have a homosexual relationship for life. Cool. Damn. And the way that they start this is a courting male approaches the other male with his head and neck lowered and extended far forward in what it's called low stretch posture. And then he combines this with the twist in which the courting male sharply rotates his head and points his muzzle toward the other male while flicking his tongue and making grumbling sounds. Dylan, I'm just going to say you uh, should edit in the twist. (laughs) Do you love me? Do you love me? I mean, you guys, I haven't gone on a date in the last eight years that didn't start out this way. So this is all checking out for me. Low stretch posture. Low stretch. Does it also include the four leg kick in which he snaps his front leg up against the other male's belly or between his hind legs? And then he sniffs and nuzzles the other male's genital area and performs the fleshman response, a.k.a. He motorboats. He the motorboats balls. the genitals, dude. I think we could all learn from this technique. Okay, well, when we're out there in the club, let's let's give it a shot. There really is nothing new under the sun, is there? I mean, we think we invent all these courting rituals, but it's been there since right, the start. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Gay sheep have always been leveling up dating since the beginning of time. There's theatricality there. There's flair. There's vigor. There's verve. You're not going to see gay sheep going to Applebee's on a Thursday. And then, you know, maybe you roll over to see Madagascar at the theater plan on rerun. Yeah. Walking through Walmart. Like, right. That's a oh, date. Make it sexy. <laughs> that's why you never see gay sheep on a date in a Walmart. <laughs> I think that could be a very romantic date. That's all I'm saying. Okay. You're no gay sheep. I'll tell you that right now and i bet if i asked your girlfriend she'd tell me the same thing <laughs> did you guys know that snails so they are her hermaphroditic is that is that the word i would use mm-hmm. i think you got it but they still help each other out two snails when they come together so one snail circles the other snail when it's ready to have babies and they shoot love darts at each other which apparently uh <laughs> are these little darts that they fire out of their body into the other snail one third of which they miss <laughs> with so there's just <laughs> watch out if you see two two snails running around because you'll get cro- caught in the crossfire yeah that does not go over well in human courting i will say (laughs) they the the darts stimulate the animal's female reproductive organs so that they can hold more sperm and um yeah that's cool I, I do agree with Blair, though. Don't use it as a human. I, I will say every once in a while you go to a bar and you see a, some people throwing darts at each other. And it might look weird, but <laughs> you just have to know they're trying to determine w- which one will be the female for the ensuing sexual relationship. Got to stimulate those organs. Yeah. This does remind me of a sea worm or a sea snail I remember reading about or a sea slug, I should say. And over the millennia, they have evolved a penis sword a sword penis oh yeah yeah and their mating ritual is that two of these creatures will fence each other with their penises on guard and then the first one to stab the other one injects his sperm through his penis sword and the whichever one lost the sword fight 
turns into the woman and carries the babies to term. That's actually exactly how people have sex, too. So <laughs> not, all yeah. that, not all that weird. Yep. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I, I just wanted to end it on the bonobos. I mean, I think they're just really sweet. They're they're one of the few animals that have sex while looking at each other. I mean, not even humans do that. What are these? They're monkeys. Monkeys. And they fuck the shit out of each other. These, like, <laughs> bonobos are so, so horny really? all the time. They are constantly fucking each other. Okay. And we got to decide, you guys, how are we going to say it? Is it bonobos or bo- bonobos? Whatever Blair says. I, I call them bone oboes because they are constantly boning <laughs> each other. Okay. So these bone oboes, they love to look into each other's eyes, you're saying, Ryland? They're horny, but they're tender. And they do open mouth kissing, which I wonder how that's scientifically defined, you know? Oh, you got to French the monkey to be sure. <laughs> Mouth's got to be open. They sound sweet. They sound romantic. Yeah. Bonobos are weird because I think the women are the social, like in the social hierarchies, I think the female bonobos are in charge. That's awesome. I like that. I just Googled bonobo monkey. Oh, it's all fucking. All the video results are fucking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do a Bing image search on bonobos. No. They're famous for fucking for sure. Ryland did mention that gorillas have the smallest penis of the primates and i actually remember hearing a study that compared all the primate primates uh with their genital size uh emission size and also their promiscuity and they found that there's kind of a y equals x function where the more promiscuous the species is the more sperm they need to produce or go the larger package gorillas have one male who is like the leader of the pride. And when males reach maturity, they either compete with the pack leader or they wander away. So there's one male making sweet, tender monkey love to a whole bunch of women. So you don't need to make a bunch of sperm on the very opposite end of the scale is the chimpanzee, which has the biggest balls of the primate world. And they are very promiscuous. So you need to produce a whole bunch of sperm much in the same way you'd fill up about a bunch of water balloons before a water balloon fight. Because you're just going to spread it all over and hope you win, right? So guess who's number two in the primate size and promiscuity chart? Ryland. You, me, baby. <laughs> it's all us. So, so what do you guys think? Uh, Live or leave having five centimeter long sperm, being able to pause your pregnancies, dancing like a sheep, watching plumber panda porn. Live or leave it, baby. What do you guys say? (laughs) To every one of these, I am going to say live it, except for the five centimeter sperm, because I'm assuming it goes to scale for my body size. And if I... Had to spend all that time just waiting for this one sperm to come out. It would drive me crazy. So to that sperm, I say leave it. Yeah, um, I gotta say, you guys, I uh, have never had sex. I'm a Christian woman, so I don't know what any of these words mean. So it's going to be a leave it for me across the board, except I do love the sheep. Uh, that's very romantic. I lo- I'm an old-fashioned girl. I, I like to be courted. I want it to be just like my young adult fiction novels, and I love that scene in Twilight where uh, Edward lowered his head into low stretch mode and then did a four-leg kick and then turned his head to the side and did a tongue flap. So Don't forget the twist! The twist! <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a livid on the twist and the twist only. I am also going to say leave it Maybe across the board. <laughs> I think 
human beings are doing a great job. Why mess around and grab someone else's thing? Right. But in terms of the most fun, definitely penis swords. <laughs> that sounds fun. That just sounds fun. And I just uh, I just got off Amazon. I bought myself a Nerf gun. And I'm going to see how my girlfriend likes it. I'll report back next week, okay? <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Oh, no. Careful. 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 Life Pile Podcast is the only podcast that is a core date and yet not a renate. We want to thank the aliens for pansperming our planet. We want to thank Blair for being our special guest. Thank you so much for bringing your expertise in. And we want to thank Scott Davis for doing the music for this and all our episodes. If you want to be part of the show, you can call in at 720-663-8163 and leave your messages about your favorite length of sperm. Uh, <laughs> you can also follow us on social media. We've got Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, Instagram. All of those are going to be at Lifepile Show. We post a lot of our listener prompts on Instagram, so feel free to follow us there. Also, we have taken to posting sweet little clips on our Instagram and Facebook, so you can get a one-minute preview the day we release an episode. We've also got the myriad visual references we make in the show posted to Instagram, so if you want to know what we're referring to and what sexy bionicles or uh, skinless furbies or time traveling children we're referring to you can go take a peek at life pile show on instagram if you want to catch me this week i will be doing some field work with jane goodall i'm going to be out there in the field studying the bonobo I'll be on a branch with one beautiful brown-eyed bonobo, and we'll be looking off at the sunset, and then I'll chuckle and look over to her and slowly brush the hair behind her ear, and both kind of lean in slowly as a kind of tension builds, and I'll look at her eyes, and then her lips, and then her eyes, and then her lips, and then I'll lean in, and we'll have a sweet, tender kiss between us, and then we'll slowly start to heat up, and her mouth will open and I'll get a little bit of tongue and I'll go Eureka and I'll make a note of it in my field note. If you want the rest of Cam's story, you can subscribe to Lifepile VIP Premium. That's $15 a month on our website. Uh, NSFW must prove that you're of 18 years of age. This week, you guys, I am fed up with my entry-level job. I'm going to need to make some extra cash on the side. So I'm going to capitalize on marketing trends, momentum, stunts. I'm going to be getting up in front of a live audience this week. You can catch me at the convention center. I'm going to be putting steroids in my body in front of a live audience. That's right. I'm using my inhaler in front of everybody uh, just to show that the FDA is great. It's too dangerous. <laughs> no, Cam. I need to show the people they can take their health into their own hands while also still following the rules. And if you want to find me uh, this week, I'm going to be keeping it on the down low because I plan on breaking into some laboratories and freeing sick animals. So if you see any coughing bunnies or mice nearby, know that it was me that let them out. Thanks, Ryland. <laughs> This week and every week, you can catch me on Twitter. I am at Blair underscore Brit. Trying to get the name without the underscore, but it's taken by someone who hasn't tweeted since they were since 2007. You can also catch me on my podcast, Neoscum. We're on Twitter at Neoscum. You can also just search for us, any podcast provider, all one word, Neoscum. What is Neoscum about? It's a actual play fantasy comedy podcast. We play the game Shadowrun, which is a tabletop role-playing game, and we record ourselves doing it. It's a lot of fun. People I play with are very cool, very funny. 
And even if you're not super into tabletop role-playing games, maybe check it out. I bet it might be something you're into. Maybe not. And then I also help out at a nonprofit theater here in Chicago called The Crowd Theater. You can check us out at thecrowdtheater.com or hit us up on Twitter at The Crowd Theater. And in addition to that, sometimes I moonlight as a mysterious masked scientist going from shadow to shadow, giving people small little injections to give them tentacles. And maybe you'll see me, maybe you won't. But if you wake up in the morning and you have a tentacle growing out of your forehead, you'll know I visited you. Tentacle Claus is real. I know it. I know it. Tentacle Claus. This is Life Pile. Light your life on fire. Life Pile. Life Pile. Life Pile.